Hello, you found Dogmatically Imperfect Condensed Imperfection, a condensed version of Season 1 episodes in a more digestible time frame. Today's session, Why I Stopped Going to Church. At the beginning of the show, I mentioned I was going to read uh, you something that I wrote in response of a concern that my dad had for me. Um, if you listen to episode, the first episode, 000, you heard about my daughter's tragic accident. Well, a few years later, I was really struggling with the expectations of my religious upbringing and uh, my reality. I'd stopped attending church, not because I didn't believe, but because my disappointment hurt so very much. And let me just put this to the side here. Um, it just hurt so much, right? And my kids were not, they were also not in church. And this really concerned my dad. And he told me, he, he pulled me to the side uh, one day, kind of before I was going to head back to California. And he said, you know, the boys can't grow up thinking it's okay to not be in church. And it really kept me up for several nights. And I finally wrote a response. I didn't really know how to give it to him. And sadly, he never got a chance to understand where I was at. I never gave him this response. Um, but this is what I wrote about 10 years ago. I titled it, Too Many People Pretending. It says, Hi, Dad. The following are the thoughts that went through my, mi went through my mind as I contemplated your question of why I haven't been attending church. As I continue writing, some of the more true reasons came through. Some of the early part is, well, you know, maybe venting is the best description. Anyway, it's important for you to have an answer. I know you and Mom both care. If only the rapture was here in the next few minutes. Anyway, here's what I wrote. There are a few basic things that should be taught, such as love one another as Christ loved us. The biggest issue is that people are not able to do that. And they pretend that everything else they know is more important than that. I understand nobody's perfect, but I'm not interested in pretending that I'm interested in pretenders. I don't have that kind of energy, which I realize is right on the edge of not loving others as Christ loved us. Ultimately, I've come to the point where I'm not sure if I'm a pretender. The things I thought I knew do not reconcile with the way things are. So I put one foot in front of the other, purely out of, is it just habit? Is it that I don't know any other way? Is it that it seems to be my only option? If there are other options, what would come of each of them? The answer is hidden in the correct question, but I have no idea what the right question is. The boys cannot grow up thinking it's okay to not be in church. Is there a church out there that pretends less than I have? Countless churches out there. What's the one thing they have in common? Each believes that they're more important. Uh, each believes that they're important and correct. What else is common in most of them? Only a few, mostly leadership, if that, ever stay out of a real family drama. It's the Springer Show without the cameras. Why is that important? How is that correct? Churches teach what's important and then live as if it's nothing. We got to fill this position or get them involved in this area or they're not going to stick. We count numbers each week, but it's like counting water molecules going from the faucet to the drain. 
We don't focus on who has changed from water to wine because we don't know how to recognize it when it happens. We had X number of people today whose lives have temporarily been put on part of the right track. We have to see fruit. We have to be able to teach how to grow fruit. But, you know, people have to want to produce fruit. Why do I feel like a pretender? 1 Peter 2.24 Who his own self bear our sins in his body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Everything is great until I'm asked or asked someone else to reconcile this verse that reaches all the way back from the Old Testament, through the Gospels, and into the New Testament with my reality. I know I'm not the only pretender because I see countless people accept disease and ailments. Some even call it part of God's plan and will. We say faith is believing, but faith is knowing by persuasion and is void of emotion. You don't get emotional because you know the chair is going to hold you up. That's normal because you know it. It can only be a temporary thing to look at a situation that does not line up with by his stripes you were healed. It has to be. It can only be temporary. The nature of the thought and actions that took place for that to be seen prior to it taking place, right? In Isaiah, he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. Then it actually taking place in John chapter 19, verse 1, then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And then looking back to see the results that it is true, 1 Peter 2, 24, demand that it still be true and active. For a situation to be more than temporary in light of that scripture points to an error somewhere. Most likely the error is an understanding of what is necessary to access that truth. When we compare the relative significance between 1 Peter 2.24 and, you know, say Romans 10.9 and 10, right? That if you will confess with your mouth that the Lord is Jesus, the, the Lord Jesus and will believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that thou shalt be saved. For with the heart the man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto, unto salvation. It's clear which one is more significant, right? Is it Romans 10 or 1 Peter 2.24? Healing or eternal salvation? Which is more important, right? What's also clear is we have no understanding of what it takes to consistently access the less significant 1 Peter 2.24. We don't know how to get the less significant thing. This calls into serious question our understanding of Romans 10, 9, and 10. We've been pretending. And I'm not going to pretend any longer, nor am I going to subject my children to a systemic misunderstanding of this magnitude. Yeah, sure, if life happens in such a way where access to 1 Peter 2.24 is never needed, then I may go through life never facing whether they have a true understanding of Romans 10, 9, and 10. As it stands now, I do not believe most leaders know the meaning of of being born of incorruptible seed. Like an employee who works under constant fear of being fired, we focus on trying to avoid hell. It's interesting that Hebrew that the Hebrews writer says in Hebrews 10.39 that we are not of those who fall back unto perdition. The description of a certain type of fallback indicates that there are other types of falling back. And if I had to describe why I'm not in church right now, it's a fallback strategy. The end of this fallback is not perdition. It's a regrouping, 
until it's time to re-engage. In the meantime, there's got to be a reconciliation of 1 Peter 2.24 and all the scriptures that go with it. It is, is it an easy place to be in? Absolutely not. Proverbs 4.7 says that in, all your uh, that in all you're getting, get understanding. This is an area where understanding is paramount. There can be no misunderstanding in this area. It cheapens the value of a life because what's the point? If access to 1 Peter 2.24, you know, by his stripes were healed, if that's withheld from one person, an innocent person, in the age of grace, where we're not punished for our previous action because Jesus took the punishment, I'm talking about my daughter here, right? My nine-month-old daughter who, who was in this devastating accident, right? If the Jesus that was moved by compassion to heal the multitudes lives in me and is not moved after taking the stripes for the very purpose, how is it possible to love agape or otherwise or even care about people who care nothing about God or even to those who pretend to? Even if I were able to muster enough empathy for people, what could I point to to persuade them that it's all true? Scripture says in Mark 16, 17, that signs follow them that believed. I can only conclude that I somehow don't believe, but that doesn't reconcile. Not only do I believe, but I expect. But my expectation has left me in a position that I'm unable to defend or justify or understand in any way. If I had no expectation, life would be a lot more simple. Easier, I imagine, too. I could go about my life as if this was meant to be and that there was no provision for and promise of healing. There would still be pain, but you know what? Browns fans can still enjoy a game even though they, are know, that, even though they know they're never going to be good. Why? Because there's no expectation of being good. I can't listen to any more songs about healing. It hurts too much. I can't listen to any more passages about stripes. It hurts too much. I can't listen to any more people who say they have faith. It hurts too much. Scripture says that Jesus healed them all. And it hurts too much. If you had the ability, and I asked you, to just allow Sarah to speak, just to be able to talk, is there any way... Anyway, you would not be moved with compassion. Would you be able to refuse? And this is his granddaughter we're talking about. Now let's make it a little more real. The next time someone you care about or even a stranger has even a stranger has a medical emergency, is there any scenario where you refuse to pick up the phone and dial 911 to get him help? Dialing 911 is well within your power. Could you ever refuse or even delay that power? Well, if you being evil know how to give good things, right? None of these things reconcile. So I'm not going to surround myself with people who have no understanding. Not to say that I know it all, because clearly I do not. But I cannot be around people who don't even begin to know the concept of what I'm facing. Most people, if they're at the point of beginning to understand, have a belief that this is part of God's original plan. It's somehow God-ordained. If I could... I'd have compassion for somebody like that. But I have no emotional currency left to give out. I'm tapped out. The money, we make, the money we make is a direct result of Sarah not being healed. The house we live in, the food we eat, it's a result of Sarah not knowing how to keep from biting her fingers at night. 
Imagine getting paid every time mom has a seizure. We fill out a time card and we each sign it and date it and then the money gets deposited. And going to church and parading my lack of faith because that's what it feels like generates the same spiritual currency that we get from the state. Is there a benefit to showing faithfulness? Perhaps, but not to the point where someone can actually grab a hold of something as important as 1 Peter 2.24. It generates every unscriptural response you can imagine. You ask me this simple question, and I'm up till 3 a.m. writing some of the answers to that question. I understand your concern. The boys know God. It's interesting because, like me, they never fit in with people at school, maybe one or two. The other interesting part is, in the same way, they never fit in with anyone at church. I can't explain it. The, the relationships are just as superficial, maybe more so because they really aren't supposed to be. What I do know is the boys love God. They know that because Jesus was made to be sin, that they've been made righteous. They know that John 10.10 is God's plan A for their life. And they know that Romans 8.28 is God's plan B. They know that we are to love others as Christ loves us. They also know that their sister still lives with this affliction. I don't know how to explain that to them. And we all live with that. I don't know whose faith it's going to take to access 1 Peter 2.24. Apparently, it's not mine, which breaks my heart more than I can possibly express. I know God can send that person. So for now, I've taken a fallback position. I focus on the things that temporarily take my mind off the situation. I hope for and work towards acquiring resources so I can take her to a place to make some kind of a progress. And I avoid the things that bring hurt to the service. It's how I cope. The main thought that goes through my mind is that I'll be better when Sarah's better. Because truthfully, I'm as broken as her. If I were able to recover without her. I don't even know how to finish that thought. Hopefully this gives some insight into why I haven't been to church in a while. I'm not saying I'll never go back, but right now is the fallback position. When I regroup, life will be different. Justin. What you're watching, this show, this episode one, episode zero, episode one, and I don't know how long it's going to last. Season one. I might do some seasons. I don't know. I haven't figured it out yet. I'm, I've, I've regrouped quite a bit, and I'm, I'm going to tell you why. This first session, seeing how Jesus did not preach what, we've, what we know to be grace. Jesus did not preach that. And it opens up. It opens up a whole new world of humanity that God's not mad at. And if I, if I can begin to understand this, maybe I can get to the point where I can understand the other. And uh, that's, and I, I really am much farther along in the process. Uh, if you knew me during these last decade and a half, uh, went downhill 
really fast. Well, I guess really far. Maybe not really fast. It was gradual. But I went downhill quite a bit. And I'm on the upswing. I'm not saying I'm to the point where I should be or need to be or want to be or anything like that. But uh, And I'm not saying I know everything either. So part of the reason I share this letter, right? They're not, I mean, I didn't realize it was four pages long until I printed it. It was a big old long thing. And, you know, to read something like that takes a while, but to write it takes a really long time. Um, I want to share my journey. I want to share my experience. Because I think there's a lot of you out there that maybe not the exact same thing, but you've had some similar types of experiences. And I think it's important that we gain a better understanding, not just of the healing part, right? That, that was the whole thing. If we can't even get the healing part right, what makes us think that we have the more important thing right? If we can't get the lesser important thing right, what makes us think that we have the more important thing right? And so I've taken a step back from everything that I thought I knew and this realization is step one. The default path for humanity to eternal life is clearly spelled out in the red letters. We've turned it into something different. And I'm not throwing a rock at my dad. I'm not throwing a rock at the church. I'm not throwing a rock at anything like that. I am saying that somehow the thing that, that we've been trying to see has been hidden by other things and I you know I mean I've got some ideas on that or thoughts as to how that process took place but it, it was not uh the people that taught it to me was taught with good intentions right and anyway we'll get into some of that later on but look this is my regrouping I am starting to advance again I'm coming out of my fallback position and uh, I appreciate you who's watching if you made it this far, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. It's it's going to be interesting as we continue to move forward. Um, it's going to be interesting. Thanks. I, I cannot wait for these next few sessions to unfold. I, I remember what it was like. I was read this, and then it, and then and then I'm going to challenge you. Okay. We go through your Bible. You start to, especially in the, uh, in the, in the, in the gospels, right? When you start to read Jesus, you're like, oh yeah. Oh, well, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. And I know I look, I get it. No one comes to the father, but by me, we're going to address that. Okay. That's one of the whatabouts. That was one of my whatabouts, right? Nobody comes to the father, but by me, I think we just kind of really illustrated that here with Matthew 25, because we looked at all of humanity and I'll just answer it for you real quick, because I know it's one of your whatabouts. Well, uh, I'm the way, the truth, life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Well, what have we just witnessed there in um, Matthew 25? The gatekeeper, right? The gatekeeper, the one who gets into the pearly gates or not, is the one sitting there separating left and right, right? So you still have to get by the gatekeeper. Um, that's the easiest way I can explain it. Um, so you're still going through Christ, whether or not you're doing it through your what, what we've understood as belief and grace or by being judged by our actions, which is exactly what uh, Jesus describes here in Matthew 25. 
And we're going to, we can look at it again. There's another reference in Revelation 20. You can see the same thing. It's by their works, they are judged, right? They open the books and they're judged. We're going to get into that kind of stuff later on, but it's, it's all throughout the gospels. It's all there. When you start to look at all the different interpretations uh, or the different doctrines that come out in the New Testament, it kind of loses some of this. And again, we, we've made <laughs> the teaching of the very Son of God subordinate to the teaching of the apostles. Like the apostles knew more than the Son of God. I don't know. I don't know. But we, that's what we did. But look, thank God we're, we're to the point where we've, we've seen what's happened as a result of that. And uh, now we can kind of get back to this other idea of, of why Jesus came to the earth. And uh, look, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Thank you for tuning in. I could keep going, but I have to stop because there's more to talk about. There's more to talk about. Uh, next next session is going to talk about the them in the scripture. The them in the scripture, right? Um, the us, we all know who the us is, right? It's the right us. And depending on your flavor of uh, <laughs> denomination or whatever, your us is like this or your us, us is really, really like this. So, but either way, it doesn't matter who... What, what size your us is, right? If your us is this size, your them is much bigger. If your us is this size, well, then you're, it's just not, your them is not as big, but it's still pretty big. But anyway, we're going to talk, we're going to see how uh, God views the them in the scripture, the, the people that we would call the them. Does God have a relationship with them? And what does God think about them? And that kind of stuff. So anyway, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. I hope you tune in. Um, thank you so much for tuning in today. And we'll see you next time. Remember, treat others. See in others the original goodness that God sees in you. Thanks so much. Dogmatically Imperfect with Justin Marson is a production of Original Goodness Media. Thanks to everyone who supports this podcast. If you want to become a supporter of the podcast, there are a couple ways to do that. If you want to support us financially, you can go to the website, originalgoodness.media. The other way to support the show is to share it with others directly or by leaving a review. If you have thoughts or questions that you would like to share, please send an email to yabut at originalgoodness.media. That's Y-E-A-H-B-U-T at originalgoodness.media. Make sure to search for the show on your favorite podcast and social media platforms. Special thanks to The Real Night Terror for our theme music. See you next time.